0: Monday to you. Welcome in. This is The Quick Six on this Monday, November the 25th, 2019. Thanksgiving week, I'm Jason Martin, host of The Big Six, The Pop Six, The Quick Six, which you're listening to right now, Squared Circle Radio. Should have an episode of that out tomorrow with Brandon Hagney and David Reed. Also the editor-in-chief of The Big Six blog, where if you had tuned out of my writing because I wasn't writing all that much... That has changed. Uh, I've written a lot over the past week or so. I've written three pieces on The Mandalorian. I wrote on last night's Watchmen, which was certainly interesting to say the least. I wrote on the Titans. I wrote on the Vols. A couple weeks ago, I wrote on all of the wrestling. So that has certainly picked up my show, at least the 6 p.m. version, because of Titans Radio, because of Tennessee basketball, because of the holiday uh, you, If you heard me on Friday, then I'm glad you did, and I appreciate you tuning in. I don't have a show on air until probably... Next Friday, maybe, meaning not this Friday, but there. But you can hear me on the zone this Thursday and Friday in for Clay Travis. It'll be me and Jeff Schwartz in on Thanksgiving and on Black Friday. Looking forward to doing that. Looking forward to uh, all of you who join me there on that holiday. But we talk football on this show. So let's go ahead and do that. You can find me on Twitter, by the way, at J Mart Zone. Okay. So NFL and college football. I'm going to give you my rankings here on college football in a bit. But I actually want to start with the NFL. Usually we start with college. I want to start with the NFL, and I want to start with the Tennessee Titans because they've earned it, quite frankly. This is very interesting to see. But for the first time since Steve McNair, multiple rushing, multiple passing touchdowns from a Tennessee Titans quarterback, and that man's name is Ryan Tannehill, and it's time to put respect on it. He could not be doing more than what he's doing right now for this football team. I don't think in our wildest dreams... Here in Music City, we expected to see Ryan Tannehill play this well for this length of time. He is 4-1 and one as a starter on this team. He's making almost no mistakes. He's not even throwing it all that often. I mean, think about how many passes Nick Foles threw yesterday for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And how about Aaron Rodgers last night in that beatdown by the San Francisco 49ers? Tannehill's not even throwing 20 passes a game, but he's so efficient. And he's throwing for yards, and he's finding the open guys, and he's getting dudes involved, and he's making the right choices. And when he pulls it down to run, he's doing so for a purpose. And he's still able to gain yards, as he did yesterday. He got into the end zone twice on his own, and he threw for two scores as well. I don't know what to say right now, other than Marcus Mariota's days are beyond numbered here. We already knew that, but now we know it even more. And Ryan Tannehill has earned the opportunity for a bridge contract, if not, and I wasn't sure about this. And look, if he goes 0-5 from here on out and falls apart, then we're going to change this opinion because it's fluid. If he goes 0-5 and looks terrible doing so, then we're going to probably pull back on this. But as of right now, if somebody said to you, let's give Tannehill two years as a starter of this team, and let's see whether or not he can be here for five years. We will commit to him for a couple of years. We'll pay what it takes to keep him here as long as it's not completely ridiculous and out of the realm of possibility. And let's ride with Tannehill next season and maybe for two years, maybe even for three. I mean, this is the thing about Tannehill. Tannehill is not in the twilight of his career. He's dealt with injuries. He was on a bad football team in Miami, and now he's here. He's got a second lease on life. This team believes in him, and they are performing for him and around him. I don't know how many franchises in the NFL would kill for what the Titans seem to have at present with Ryan Tannehill. The schedule's going to get tougher. It's not Tannehill's team in that the offense doesn't have to run through the quarterback in Tennessee. It's running through 22. It's running through Derrick Henry when accurate. And I said last night, I tweeted out, it was fitting that this game came down to a 22-point win for the Titans, that they beat the Jags by 22, because they did in multiple ways. They beat them by 22, and they beat them by 22. Derrick Henry, 19 carries, 159 yards and two scores. Stiff arm, part Dur I was thinking of Charlie Sheen and Hot Shots back in the day, Valeria Galeno. But this is how you have to run Derrick Henry. You can't run Derrick Henry nine times and expect him to get 150 yards, but you can run him 20 times and expect him to get 150 yards because he is an attrition back. He doesn't have, like, he's not Willie Galt out there. He's not Tyreek Hill out there. He's not Chris Johnson. He's not that quick immediately, but he will wear you the crap down, and then in the second half, he does his damage. What is it, over 90%? of his touchdowns this season have come in the second half? Of course. I mean, look at him. Look how he's built. Defenses, as they get a little bit fatigued, he can absolutely truck them, embarrass them, and just roll over them like a Mack truck, and that's what we saw yesterday. Defensively, that fourth quarter, not great. But other than that, they played relatively well. I was actually impressed with the fight from the Jaguars' offense, and I, I think that that, quite frankly, is an indication that they like Nick Foles and that they believe in him and that Nick Foles is inspiring. doesn't mean Nick Foles is a starting quarterback at a high level in this league. I have said since the beginning he's a backup masquerading as a starter, and I love Nick Foles. I love everything he's about. I love what he has to say. I love that he wears his faith on his sleeve, and I I love that he is unafraid to stand up for that. But none of that means that he's going to be Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or – I guess last night you say Garoppolo or Russell Wilson or somebody like that. He's not, and he doesn't have a ton of weapons around him. The one guy you knew going in that you had to kind of corral was Chark, and they did a nice job, meaning the Titans' defense. It wasn't a great performance, and I was impressed with Fournette because Fournette's the kind of guy that at times you thought maybe he sort of quit in certain games. Yesterday he didn't. Yesterday he ran hard all the way to the end of that game. It was a blowout, and 35-3, to you're not pulling out of that hole. Those three touchdowns that came like a barrage, like it was from a Gatling gun with Mike Vrabel at the helm of it, that right there, they weren't coming back from that, but they did not quit. They didn't just put it into the tank. And I think that there is credit to be given to the Jags for that. But the bigger thing now is, are the Titans going to make the playoffs? They've got to beat the Colts. But I felt like they had to beat the Jags because if they had lost to the Jags, they would have lost both to Jacksonville and both would have had the same record at that point at 5-6. and Now – The Titans are 6-5. and They're tied with the Colts. They're going to Indy. Indy doesn't look great right now. And the Texans are only a 7-4 and team. And the key to this entire season is in the fact that the team at the top of the AFC South, the Titans have not seen them yet. There are going to be two games in the final three weeks of this season between those two squads, including the regular season finale. And it may determine the AFC South. Only if they beat the Colts, however. If they don't beat the Colts... I don't think they make the playoffs. The Raiders got killed by the Jets yesterday. This much we realize. I actually predicted that on the Jason Martin show on Fox Sports Radio on Sunday morning. I predicted some things wrong yesterday, but one thing I just had a feeling that the Jets were going to get the Raiders. I did not expect it to be 34 to three, but the NFL can bring some weird things, especially when teams are going west to east. And the Jets have quietly been playing a little bit better with Sam Darnold at quarterback and the defense certainly has been playing well. The Raiders game coming up on December the 8th is a knockout game wild card style for either the Raiders or the Titans. I think the Titans have a better chance to win the division than they do get into the wild card. The Bills are eight and three. That win yesterday, I think solidified them as a wild card team because even though their schedule is a little bit difficult down the stretch, they've got, I think the Ravens, they've got the Pats, they've got some difficult opponents left, but they've already won eight games. If they win one more, I just don't think the Titans are going nine and seven if they don't beat the Colts and have a shot at the division. And then the Raiders, if you lose to them, they've got a head-to-head over you, and they will then have a better record than you, we would think. So those the, the game that doesn't matter at all is the Saints game. When Breeze and company come here, if you win it, great, because you certainly want to win. It's not that it's totally meaningless. But if there's one you can afford to lose of the ones remaining, it's that one. It's against an NFC opponent. has absolutely nothing to do in terms of tiebreakers and things of that nature. It's not going to matter. Even though it's going to be cool to see Breeze here, it's going to be cool to see that high-powered offense here, and you know all of that, one of the best teams in the league, even though they're flailing a little bit over the last few weeks. That's the one that doesn't matter. The Raiders is huge, the Colts is huge, and then those two Texans games are just unbelievably important for this team. Are they going to make the playoffs? i got to stick by my guns and tell you what I told you after the Denver game. No, I thought the season ended right there, but it's now interesting. And it's interesting because Ryan Tannehill has made so few mistakes. He's been smart with the ball, and Arthur Smith has utilized him effectively. And Derrick Henry is getting his number called quite frequently. This defense was carrying the team, keeping them afloat for the first half of the season. Now the offense is picking up the pace. And this team is actually starting to be a little impressive. Doesn't mean I'm going to change my philosophy, though. I will flip a coin every Friday, and that's how I'm going to determine if they win these games. Because they're just too inconsistent. I still don't trust them from game to game. They should have beaten the Jaguars the way they beat them yesterday, but they look dominant in doing so. And so the AFC South race goes wide open again. The Texans have their, you know, they have their lead, but really the Titans have their own future in their hands. If they beat the Colts and beat the Texans twice, they're going to win the division. That would seem to be the case. But six and five at this standpoint and the way that they're playing right now, and the confidence with which Ryan Tannehill is leading this team from the quarterback spot. You just have to appreciate that if you're a Tennessee Titans fan. Now let's take a look at everything else that happened yesterday in the league. And we don't have to belabor this or go into it too much. We got Ravens-Rams tonight. That's going to be a fun one. I actually picked the Rams to win that game, but I also thought that Philadelphia, for some reason, just on gut, was going to beat the Seahawks. Philadelphia is not very good. I picked the Cowboys to do what almost nobody does, which is win at Foxborough. They couldn't do that. And I want, let's stop right there and talk about that game. That game was in what 38 degree weather with rain falling, cold rain and like 14, 15 mile per hour winds. But the Patriots won it 13 to nine. They got a touchdown off a block punt. Not like Brady looked great by any means. It was a boring game, but it was a close game. And so I see this morning. Stephen A. Smith's on TV saying Garrett's got to be gone right now. Here's the thing about Jason Garrett. Jason Garrett should have been gone years ago. Nothing that he is doing, positive or negative, from week to week, should change your feeling on him at this point because he's been there long enough to, to have established a pattern. This is the same thing I said about Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota, once you made your choice on him, I would say at the end of last season, certainly at the beginning of this year, that just needs to be it. Because, yes, there are going to be highs and there are going to be lows, but where is the middle ground with Jason Garrett? It's eh. It's It's been time to move on from Jason Garrett. When they win two or three in a row, it's not because Jason Garrett is all of a sudden a much better coach. It's because of everything else that's going on surrounding Jason Garrett. Dak Prescott's play, the offensive line, the defense, the coordinators, those kinds of things, the play calling. I just don't think Jason Garrett has been good just like I didn't think Marcus Mariota was good. So, just because they lost to the Patriots doesn't mean now you fire him. Like this was a referendum game. The referendum's been in on Jason Garrett for a couple of years. I think the same thing's true of Bill O'Brien. I know they're winning games in Houston, but I, I imagine what Deshaun Watson would be and what Hopkins would be with a really forward-thinking offensive mind instead of conservative old Bill O'Brien. Yeah, they're seven and four. They might be nine and two, ten and one if they had a Kyle Shanahan or someone of that nature. But they don't. I think of Garrett the way I think of O'Brien. They're just dudes. But there's nothing special about them, nothing standout about them. But the fact that they lost to the Patriots doesn't mean now you fire Jason Garrett because he proved all he needed to prove in the wrong way. You already knew what Jason Garrett was. He is who you thought he was. Period. Now Falcons lose to the Bucks because of course they did. After they won a couple of games in a row, they played the worst team in the division and got beat by thirteen at home. Winston and Godwin had a really big day. Bills beat the Broncos. We already talked about that. Josh Allen, if you read Dan Orlovsky, VSPN, saying Josh Allen's playing good football. My Broncos are awful. The Bills are 8-3. and They're going to get a wild card. There's only one wild card spot up for grabs, and I think it's going to go to either the Raiders or the Tennessee Titans or the Colts, I guess. Depending on who wins Colts-Titans, the winner of that and the Raiders are going to be the ones combining for that. Bears beat the Giants because the Bears have a defense. Trubisky throws two picks, but he did have two touchdowns in this game. The Giants are an absolute travesty of a football team. Just terrible. And you go back to the decision to draft Saquon Barkley last year, and it just wasn't very smart. Because they didn't have the luxury to draft a Saquon Barkley. As great a player as he is, if they didn't have a quarterback, it didn't matter. And they didn't have a quarterback, and they rode with Eli too long, and now they've set their franchise back for a few years. Steelers beat the Bengals after Mason Rudolph gets benched. And they bring in a rookie. The defense gets a couple of fumbles from the Bengals, and the Bengals are 0-11. And that's what they should want to be. At this point, they should just want to be number one in the draft and get a quarterback because Finley's not the guy and Dalton's, of course, out the door. I don't know what Joe Burrow is going to be in the pros. I know what he looks like at LSU. I know the confidence he's playing with. I don't know what he's going to be in the pros. None of us do because he's going to go to a bad team with a bad offensive line and not a whole lot of weapons. That's the crap shoot. I would, I mean, I don't think you have a choice but to draft him unless you need defender first and already have a quarterback, but we know the Bengals don't. Steelers are six and five. They don't have the toughest schedule in the world. They could maybe be in that wild card mix as well. But you just look at that quarterback spot and you just say, eventually that's going to bite them. Browns over the Dolphins. You could see that coming. Over 40 for the Browns. Mayfield looks good. Landry has a really big day. This was a tailor-made game for the Browns to have a big offensive explosion against a pretty bad defense and a team that probably shouldn't have two wins. They should probably have zero or one. But somehow they have to. The Browns are five and six. They're, even though their schedule is comically easy down the stretch, they're the comic Browns. They won't be heard from as it relates to the playoffs. Saints over the Panthers in a thriller 34 to 31. I don't know exactly what's up with the Saints. The Panthers are up and down, very inconsistent outside of McCaffrey. Uh, and they missed a field goal where they could have potentially put themselves in position to win saints are nine and two but aren't playing like a nine and two team right now jets crushed the raiders we already talked about that darnold had three scores in that game and josh jacobs just couldn't run it against the jets defense which is a function of bad o-line play against the the hog mollies up front for gang green seahawks over the eagles eagles are five and six four turnovers for carson wentz it is now fair to start questioning how good carson wentz really is he's never won a playoff game I don't think he's ever won a game in December, as a matter of fact. And this team is just kind of crumbling. I don't know that they buy into him. I don't know if they see him as a leader. Their secondary is abysmal. The Seahawks are not into The NFC West is, is really fun to watch. The NFC East is a bunch of mediocre teams. I think the Cowboys are good, but they're hampered by a coach. But it has nothing to do with the fact they lost to the Patriots, that they're hampered by a coach. They've been hampered by a coach pretty much since they drafted Dak Prescott, as far as I'm concerned. Redskins beat the Lions. Good Lord. The Lions are better than 3-7-1, even with Driscoll out there and not Matt Stafford, even though there is a giant problem. But an interception late, game-winning touchdown for the Redskins. They're 2-9. and nine. They're awful. That game was terrible. The The opening window yesterday of all those games, that was the day you didn't really need to be paying attention to football, which I didn't, honestly. I watched. It was on. But I was also writing and doing some other things. It was not a banner early afternoon. We talked about the Pats and Cowboys already. 49ers, 10 and 1 over the Packers. This stretch for the 49ers where they played the Packers on Sunday night football. Now they go to Baltimore and to New Orleans. I said on the Jason March on Sunday, we're going to find out how good they are when we get to the end of this three game stretch. They've also got another game at Seattle to end the season. So it's going to be tough for them right now at 10 and 1. The way that they absolutely embarrassed the Packers, historically bad performance from Aaron Rodgers in terms of the stats. The 49ers right now have to be regarded. It's them in Baltimore. If Baltimore comes out tonight and just crushes the Rams on the road, but it's one and two right there. I know the Patriots are 10 and one as well. Their offense just isn't that great. Doesn't mean the Patriots aren't going to win the Super Bowl because that's how good Belichick is at scheming. From game to game. Right now, and I still don't think Garoppolo is that great. He had a good night last night, especially in pressure situations. I still think he's an average quarterback, and that that's what kind of holds me back. I think Lamar Jackson's the MVP of the league, right now at least. But the 49ers have to be one or two on your list, whether it's them and the Ravens or Ravens and them. Ravens have already beaten the Pats, so you can't put the Pats above them. Not in my opinion. Not after the way in which they beat them down on Sunday Night Football, but what a game by the 49ers, just as impressive as you could possibly want to see uh, in that case. Okay, college football. Tennessee, bowl eligible. Incredible. Jarrett Garantano goes for over 400 yards, throws his guts out, and I didn't even think he played very well in the first quarter of that game at all. I thought he missed some throws, was airmailing guys, and was just a little bit off. And then he went to the bench for a couple of plays. Brian Maurer came out there, almost got Marquez Calloway killed, throwing behind him. Then J.G. came back in, and he was a man possessed. On third down, he was a man possessed. He found every open guy. He didn't miss throws. He was poised. He played out of his gourd, and they beat Missouri. If we learn one thing on Saturday, we learned why Trevor Lawrence got that job over Kelly Bryant. Kelly Bryant's not 100%, but Kelly Bryant's just not that good, folks. I can't believe he started four games at Clemson with Trevor Lawrence on that roster. They watched that in practice, right? Like they knew exactly what was going to happen when Trevor Lawrence got into the into the roster, into the starting lineup last year at Death Valley. And it's exactly what happened. They won the national championship. And right now they could easily be on the verge of doing that again. We saw Ohio State look dominant. We saw LSU beat a horrible team. We saw Clemson look dominant. We saw Georgia Man, they're boring, man. That is a one loss team that is just so dull. Their defense is incredible. That stat that they've given up 84 points to the SEC this season, which is now over. The regular season is over. They got Georgia Tech in their finale. They gave up 84 points, which is the fourth best total for a defense across an SEC season since 1992. Their defense is outrageous. But Fromm just does enough. He didn't even have 200 yards, I don't think, throwing the ball. They still win the game 19-13 over A&M, who played a ridiculous schedule this year but was not particularly standout. But the big news is Oregon. Oregon goes to Arizona State and loses to a Sun Devils team that hadn't won in over a month to a freshman quarterback on a bomb after all the momentum was then going back in Oregon's favor. They were trailing fairly big. Then they come back. And after they score that touchdown to make it 24 to 21, you're just waiting for the finish of the implosion and for Oregon to win. They get a sack on third down on the quarterback. And then he throws that bomb touchdown down the left sideline. And boom, there's your ball game. 31 28. Oregon's out of the college football playoff discussion. But the bigger concern is if you're a Utah fan, what does that mean for you? Because now in the Pac 12 championship game, Utah facing Oregon, you're facing a two-loss team that's not in the playoff discussion any longer. Is that going to be enough? Nobody in the country outside of Ohio State is probably, well, maybe Clemson, but their opponents are so pathetic that it's hard to really tell. But nobody's playing better football right now than Utah is on both sides of the ball. Their defense is just nasty. Hundley's the best quarterback in the country nobody's talking about. They are killing fools. I mean, they annihilated Arizona in that game. I want to see them in the college football playoff. Whittingham is a criminally underrated coach that just shows up and wins a lot of games year after year. It's not like Utah has a lot to offer compared to a lot of the programs that have a lot more money and, and things of that nature in terms of facilities and all. But all they do is win. And this Utah team, and that loss, they have one loss, and it was to USC. You remember Slovis on Saturday broke a USC record through threw for over 500 yards. And they're now ranked in the college football playoff rankings, and we'll see what happens Tuesday. But they won again on Saturday, so it's not going to change. USC's now probably right around the top 20 in the 20-22 to 22 range. I think they were 23rd in last week's ratings. Kansas State, who Oklahoma lost to, was out of that ranking. South Carolina is nowhere close to that ranking where Georgia lost. Utah's loss was at a Southern Cal team that now has seven wins. How do you keep them out? But they're probably going to be kept out. Even if they go beat Oregon, and the likelihood is that Oregon probably beats them and we don't have to have this discussion, but Utah going one loss and not getting in, if they beat Oregon and finish the job, and especially if they look good doing so, that's going to be a really bad look for the college football playoff. Alabama goes and beats Western Carolina 66-3. to One other point about that Oregon game. This is why nine conference games is so difficult. It has never been done before that a team's been able to go undefeated playing nine conference games in a Power 5 conference. Alabama played eight, and then they went and whipped Western Carolina. Oregon, having to play nine, they lost. They lost to an Arizona State team they had no business losing to. It wasn't a trap game because you don't look ahead to Oregon State. Maybe they're already looking to Utah, but if they're doing that, then they deserve to get beat. Oklahoma didn't look great, but came back and held off a comeback from TCU, they had to hold off a comeback from Iowa State a few years ago, a few weeks ago, and they beat Baylor last week, knocked them from the ranks of the undefeated. Could they get in? Yes, they could. They're going to get a chance to play Baylor again. They've already beaten them once. They're going to meet in the Big 12 championship game. Baylor remained. You know, they came back and won. And Texas, man, remember Texas supposed to be back this year. Remember my list of six most overrated persons in sports last summer on the Big Six and how I keep referring to it, Tom Herman was on that list. It's not that Tom Herman's bad. It's that he's not worth the hype that he's been given when he got that job. It's just like, oh, at Houston, he's built this juggernaut, and now he's the next, the, uh, next Nick Saban. I don't think so. You got to give him time. I get it, but they were supposed to be better than this. They're not that good, but Baylor coming back from the heartbreak and the collapse against Oklahoma to win against Texas still impressive for them. Minnesota held on to one loss. It's them in Wisconsin. The winner will play Ohio State in the Big Twelve Big Ten championship game. First time ESPN Game Day is ever going to be in Minneapolis. Minnesota's probably going to lose, quite frankly. But if they don't, and then they go beat, beat Ohio State, you immediately have a chance at two Big Ten. Big 10 teams getting in because even if Ohio State were to lose in a conference title game, you can't imagine that they would drop out of the top four. You just can't, not at this stage. So here's my top ten. Last week, Penn State at ten, Minnesota at nine, Oklahoma at eight, Alabama seven, Utah six, Oregon five, Georgia four, Clemson three, Ohio State two, LSU one. Now, I don't even know how I feel about ten. Michigan has quietly been playing really good football, but I couldn't get them there. And now they're kind of playing Ohio State without much pressure. If they lose, it's Ohio State this year. I know Harbaugh was hired to beat Ohio State, but if they lose to him this year, I don't think that that's going to be a death knell for Michigan. And I do think they will lose, but I'm intrigued. I've got Florida at 10 just because of the quality of their losses. They've lost to Georgia and LSU. That's number four and one in the committee rankings right now in the college football playoffs and they've beaten a lot of other teams and they've beaten them handily so I'll get them at 10 I don't feel great about the number 10 spot I'll give Baylor nine to come back from the Oklahoma collapse and beat Texas to be a one-loss team at this point I'll give them nine now if they lose to Oklahoma a second time they'll drop out of the top 10 they'll probably drop out of the top 15 but nine seems fair I didn't even have them in my top 10 last week but Penn State didn't impress me on Saturday overall and I'm going to give Baylor their due here. Number eight, I'll put Minnesota, another one-loss team. One has a chance against Wisconsin and then a chance against Ohio State if they beat Wisconsin. This will work itself out. I still don't know how great that they are, but based on the record, I'm putting a one-loss Minnesota at eight. Oklahoma raises one spot on my list to number seven. I don't know if they're going to be, over, be able to overcome their one loss, but Jalen Hurts has been better than I anticipated in being at Oklahoma. And now that they've got CeeDee Lamb back, and you assume they're going to beat Baylor easier in the Big 12 title game than the comeback that they had to make last week in Waco. We'll see, but I've got him at seven. Number six, I'm putting Alabama. 66 to three. Mac Jones looked good. Tua's brother looked good. But without Tua, I'm not putting a Tua-less Alabama team above Utah. Not the way Utah looks right now. The question is, do I want to put Utah in that four spot? And I desperately, desperately do. But then I look at Georgia and I say they beat Notre Dame, they beat Florida, and they beat Auburn. And coming into the season, you anticipated them being really good. Their schedule has been hard, and they've won, and they're going to have an opportunity to play LSU. If they beat LSU, there will be no argument. They're gonna kill Georgia Tech, a really bad team this Saturday, and then they're gonna to go to Atlanta to play any SEC title game. I I'm gonna put Utah at five, even though I'd love to see a scenario where they could get to four. I don't know if they can. They'll win their in state game and then they will play Oregon. If they beat Oregon, is that gonna be enough now that Oregon's dropped in the AP poll to fourteen from, you know, number five, number six? I don't know, quite frankly. I don't know the Georgia beats issue, and if they don't, I don't think this is going to be a concern. Then you can get a Utah in there. You can get an Alabama in there, maybe, even though I don't know how you'd feel about that. Alabama is going to have trouble against Auburn. Auburn's got a really good defense. They scored 40 in four games this season. Actually, I think it's 50. They scored fifty four times this season, which is the first time anybody's done that since A&M and the SEC, and that was the Manziel-led A&M teams from you know over half a decade ago. I think Utah has an opportunity here. I just think that that, for some reason, because they're Utah, because that name doesn't hold a lot of weight, that's going to cost them in the end. But if Georgia loses to LSU and has two losses, even the quality of those losses, it's not going to matter at that point. And the quality of one of those losses is awful. I'm not even sure that that South Carolina defeat shouldn't be disqualifying because they lost it at home. And South Carolina's currently fighting off reports that Will Muschamp's about to be out of that job. Clemson at three. If they win the national title, no one should be surprised. They're starting to look the part right now. They're healthy. ATN's ridiculous. Lawrence is playing much better. They have had a cake schedule, and so they should be real well-rested, and they're dangerous. Nobody's going to want to see them. in that. That's why you don't want to be the number two seed. That's why you're going to want to be the one seed, to dodge Clemson in that first game, because I don't think Clemson's going to be one or four. They're either going to be two or three, depending on – you know the the happenings around them nobody wants to see them in the semifinal nobody number two i'm going to keep ohio state there even though you could put them at one and i think you're getting close to 1a and 1b lsu's defense scares me ohio state is a balanced team their defense is great i don't think their offense is quite as prolific as lsu's i think lsu is the best team i've seen this season and they have the most impressive wins they beat alabama and they beat florida that's two top ten wins. I know Ohio State beat Penn State. Penn State probably should have lost a lot more lopsided, but the score was just twenty eight to seventeen That was a twenty one to nothing game, and then Penn State scored twice and tied and made it close there at the end of the first half. So I'm going to put lSU there. They beat a bad team on Saturday. It doesn't really hold that much water. If they go beat Georgia, I don't see how you keep them out of the number one spot. If they do that in the SEC title game, if you want to put Ohio State one, I'm not really going to have that big an argument against it. Those are the two best teams in the country right now. However you want to slot them, you can slot them back to Tennessee. Stuart Mandel, the athletic put out his bowl projections and says January 1st Gator Bowl, Minnesota, to Tennessee. I don't know if that's what happens. I'd love to see him in the Music City Bowl. I know the January 1st Bowl is a bigger game, a bigger stage. The, the idea they'd be playing a team that I've just mentioned in my top 10 in a bowl game, a one-loss Minnesota team that was undefeated two weeks ago, that's pretty incredible in its own right. Pruitt and this team deserve a lot of credit for not going into the tank when this season looked over. I predicted nine or ten wins this season for Tennessee because I looked at the schedule, but that included BYU and Georgia State. That doesn't mean I would have been right because had they beaten BYU and Georgia State, I don't know if they still would have beaten Mississippi State. I don't know if they still would have beaten Kentucky. I don't know if they still would have beaten Missouri. I don't know that it didn't take real humble pie for some of the guys on this team and certainly maybe the quarterback, Garantano, to make them hungrier, to bring them down enough to where they were inspired to come back. Maybe it took Jeremy Pruitt getting that unsportsmanlike conduct penalty or the just what he was doing on the sidelines, all of those histrionics showing that he was backing his players. I don't know if it didn't, if they would have been the same and been as cohesive as they appear to be right now without everything that went into this. Maybe JG had to make that mistake at Alabama to galvanize this team and to wake him up to what he can do and what he can't do. Now he's saying Knoxville is where he wants to be. I think he may come back next year and I think that the fans might actually welcome it. I know there's a great, you know, newcomer that's going to be out there, they'll put the best guy on the field. I think it was unthinkable after Alabama that JG was going to be back. Some people thought he would never step foot on the field again for Tennessee. Look at what he's done now. Look at all he has been asked to do and how he has responded to it. It's amazing. You got two quarterbacks in this state, one for the Titans and one for the Vols, neither one of which anybody believed in six or seven weeks ago. And right now, both of them, you could say, pretty much nothing but positive things about what you're seeing from both Tannehill and Garantano. I would say Tannehill's future is brighter, but Garantano is unquestionably playing at the highest level of his career at this point. It's astonishing that they're bowl eligible. They are going to murder Vanderbilt on Saturday. And the Vanderbilt story, I don't know how long they're going to stick with Derrick Mason. I know what Malcolm Turner said, you saw the post I put on Twitter at jmartzone, just asking, what's your first reaction to this? And I just think, eventually you have to do something, right? Or you're just signaling to your fans, look, we don't care, so why should you? There are other schools with great academics that win in a lot of athletic endeavors. Northwestern has good seasons. Duke has good seasons. Obviously, we know what they do in basketball. Stanford has good seasons in both basketball and football. It's not like Vanderbilt can claim that forever. There are other great schools that win a lot of games and make bowls. And this Vanderbilt team, they're in the SEC. Some say they shouldn't be. I actually think that it shouldn't be if they're going to continue to do this. Derek Mason's a nice man. I don't care. He shouldn't be the head coach of an SEC football school. He probably shouldn't be the head coach of anybody in a Power Five. Maybe lower, but how much lower do you get than Vanderbilt in the SEC? The expectations are are not, you can't get lower than that. He is an elite defensive coordinator. So he should go do that and make good money doing it and help a team win a championship. I don't think he can be the CEO unless everything's perfect around him. And it's never going to be that way at Vanderbilt. So this is going to continue to be a problem. I don't know how it changes unless they get somebody else. And you're going to say, well, who else do they go get? I don't know because I don't know how good a job it is at at this point. But I know that Derek Mason has never looked right for it. And he has said some really weird, naive, almost hypocritical things, positive and negative about the program in the past month. He just doesn't look like he has any answers. I don't either, but I'm not trying to get that job. I'm not applying for it. Derek Mason's just not gotten it done. How long are you going to sit there and allow that to happen? Seems like at least one more year which means you're going to have more games like Saturday where 10 minutes before kickoff, there might have been more people at your local public library than there were watching the Vanderbilt Commodores play ETSU, who they killed, but who cares? Really, seriously, who cares? So that's a look at football, folks. Again, I've written a whole lot of the Big Six blog. We'll continue to do so. I'll be on Outkick, the coverage on Thursday and Friday. We'll have a new edition of Squared Circle Radio. Also, Brad Willis and I are supposed to be sitting down to do a pretty – in-depth pop six on the first three episodes of the mandalorian at some point this week so i'm going to find ways to give you content but because of tennessee hoops and titans radio and the holiday you won't hear from me in my regular big six spot until probably next friday so i'll find a way to chat with you as best i can hit me up on twitter at JMartZone. i didn't say it off the top but i will say it at the end Blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. I hope you recognize that you are as well. I hope this holiday w- week finds you and yours doing exceedingly well. My DMs at jmartzone, they're always going to be wide open for faith-based communications and conversations. If not me, I hope you find somebody in your life that you trust to have that discussion with. I don't care what else you're spending your time on. Nothing is more important than that conversation. I hope, like I said, if it's not me, I hope there's somebody in your life to do. But, But I will always entertain those discussions as best I can and again a wonderful Thanksgiving wishes to you and yours I hope you enjoy the turkey and the food the football might not be too good on Thursday but just think of the blessings that you have when you're sitting around that table it's a large and small thing and oftentimes we overlook the muffin we eat in the morning or the protein bar in my case (laughs) That I eat when I wake up, or nothing I love more in this world that's tangible other than my wife than a good cup of coffee or, you know, a latte or whatever it is that I'm making. I get so much joy out of it. And what I'm trying to teach myself right now, as the flawed human being that I am, is to be thankful for those that worked the fields that got those coffee beans, those that roasted those coffee beans, those that bagged them, those that drove them. uh, All of these different things that gave me the possibility to have that bag sitting a few feet away from me on my little coffee stand area in the kitchen. And then as I taste it, just all of what went into me having taste buds in the first place and having a mind that could process that. And to be able to just sit there and enjoy that aroma and that smell. And that's what I'm talking about, the about the little and the big things. Every bite that you take, not just on Thursday, but every single day, think of all that went into that bite. And think about how privileged you are to be at the end of that chain and to have that ability. And there are people, unfortunately, that don't always have that. Here in other places, there are people that we we will see when we're downtown or when we are going to Titans Jags yesterday, Nissan Stadium. It's cold outside at this time of year and we just step over them. And I hope, if nothing else, that from year to year I step over fewer of them. And I think about them more. And I think about how blessed I am to be in the position that I have and in the position that I am. I get to talk about sports, and I get to talk about television and movies and so many things, and I get paid to do it, and I have an audience of people that appreciate it. And many times that's enough for me to realize that I'm okay at doing this. I can be really self-critical of myself, and a lot of times I'm just not satisfied with the work that I put out I feel like I could be given more effort. I feel like all of these things. So truly, you guys do keep me going. And so on this Thanksgiving week, I wish only the best for you and yours. And like I said, I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I'm thankful for the time that you give me. I'm thankful for the opportunity that you have opened to me by giving me your ears or giving me your eyes in print or saying a kind word or something like that to not not even really inspire me but just keep me going in those moments where you don't know if somebody's out there listening or paying attention to what you're saying but i know because i am so blessed to be able to make a living doing this i know why i know who made it possible i know my source and i also know that without you it wouldn't be possible So from the bottom of my heart and my family's heart to yours, happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the holidays. Do take inventory of every bite on Thursday. But not just on Thursday. Inventory tonight during dinner, tomorrow during breakfast. Think of it all as your daily bread. Because that's exactly what it is. And it was bought with a price. I'll see you next week. This is the uh, Quick Six. Happy Thanksgiving, folks. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. And good morning, good afternoon, good night from the Music City.